Good morning. How's everybody doing? It's going to be 62 degrees today, huh? That's pretty nice. I mean, it was like, it was like 32 degrees this morning. But it's going to be 62 degrees this afternoon, which is going to be really nice. I'm excited to be here, guys. I haven't got to do this in a while. And I love getting the opportunity to come speak to you guys and share uh, in, in the Word of God. And today we're continuing in our series, One. And today we're specifically talking about one community. And if you know me, community is a big deal. That's why today's main thing is we aren't better together. We're at our best together See, Christianity isn't something you do alone. Life was never designed for that. All the way back to Adam, when God created Adam, he said it is not good for man to be alone. And when it comes to the church, we read in Hebrews, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting with one another. And all the more, or sorry, together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's from Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Christ himself did not go into ministry alone. He chose 12 young men that traveled with him, probably teenagers, which means that Jesus was part teacher and part half insane most of the time, probably. Um, But Jesus even had close friends. When Lazarus died, we read that Jesus wept. He was so saddened by seeing the hurt of Mary and Martha that he wept. He didn't cry. He wept. He ugly cried. And that only happens when you're in deep community with people. Now, we felt that as a church earlier this year uh, when we lost one of our own. And i got to be honest, I've never been more proud of our church as I was and how we responded to that. You see, the Son of God understood that the need for community was so important. Yet, in spite of that, so many of us think we can do it alone. You guys just pray with me real quick. God, we thank you for today, and we thank you for this opportunity to talk about what it means to be in community. Father, uh, we just want to honor you in how we worship, how we pray, how we live. Father, I pray today that we garner something from your word that can push us forward into a life of deeper understanding and love for you. God, you're wonderful. We love you. We praise in your son's name. Amen. This entire series is based off of Acts chapter 2, and specifically Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We've been reading through these the whole time, but we're going to read them again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, if you're reading out of an NIV version Bible... At the, he- at the top of each one of these sections of Scripture, they'll put these little headings. Now, they aren't Scripture. Those headings aren't. Those weren't in the original texts. Those are put in there by the NIV just to kind of help you understand what the next section is talking about. And the heading over this section um, was simply titled, uh, The Fellowship of the Believers. 
The word fellowship can be defined as a group of people meeting to pursue a shared interest or aim. And this term, fellowship of the believers, took me immediately to nerd land. Some of you may already know this, and many of you may not, but many of you may, I don't know. But I'm a complete and total nerd. Okay? I love Star Wars. I love Marvel movies and comics. I love DC Comics. My kids gave me an excuse to play Pokemon on my phone again. And I love Lord of the Rings. Ooh, we got some woos out of that one. But fellowship directly took me to the Lord of the Rings. And if you are a Lord of the Rings person, you know where I'm going with this. It took me immediately to the fellowship of the ring. You see, this is where people from different places and different backgrounds and races came together for a singular purpose that would save the world. Sounds a lot like what we're supposed to do, right? People from different backgrounds, races, cultures, coming together to perform the Great Commission. See, they were given a call to arms that had very high stakes. They had to be willing to lay it all on the line to see their mission be successful, and they had to have each other's backs. They were at war with evil, and they couldn't waver. They were going into battle. Now, many of you may not know this, but J.R.R. Tolkien, that's really hard to say, by the way. Have you ever tried to say J.R.R.? That's not easy. Try it. Don't. I'm kidding. Okay, so J.R.R. Tolkien, he, he's the author of The Lord of the Rings, and he was a Christian. He was a believer. As a matter of fact, he and C.S. Lewis, the author of The Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity and several other great books, would get together and they would discuss their books, but they would also discuss theology. J.R.R. Tolkien also admitted that The Lord of the Rings was a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. So it's no shock that we see this amazing illustration of what community in the church should look like. People coming together for a common cause, in our case the gospel, and going to battle for it. And the idea of going to battle for the Lord is not uncommon in the Bible. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. <clears throat> Sorry about that. We are considered soldiers in God's army. That's what we are. We decide we're going to take on Christ. We immediately become soldiers in God's army. And an interesting thing about soldiers, they don't fight alone. Soldiers never fight by themselves. If we're an army, then we fight together. In the U.S. Army, there are different units. And I actually double-checked on this to make sure I wasn't wrong about this. But there are different units, ranging from teams to divisions. Teams are the smallest groups within the army, and they usually have the closest-knit men and women uh, because they have to work as one. And these teams are then part of squads, which are part of sections, which are part of platoons, which are part of companies that are part of battalions, that are part of regiments, that are part of brigades. The army is set up as one of the best small group programs in the history of the planet. 
They understand to be able to battle better, you need to have smaller units that do life together and trust each other. And then those units can join together and be a force. See, this is the mindset of Catalyst. To grow God's kingdom, we need to have smaller groups that truly live life together and trust one another in order to build community. And the way we do that is through four things. Community groups, various classes and Bible studies, ministry teams, and Sunday worship. And I want to start off talking about community groups. If you know me well, community groups are what I love the most. They're the thing, if I could spend all my work just on that, I would be totally satisfied with my life. Because I genuinely believe, genuinely believe that community groups are the best way of living out Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, through fellowship, the breaking of bread, and gratitude. Because as community groups get together, the first thing is just fellowship. It's coming together of people who love each other. Having a meal together, breaking bread together, and then sharing in the blessings of what God has done in their lives. It's just something to be, that's amazing to be a part of. To be a part of something where you are truly friends and family with these people. Now, I do want to clarify something that's a misnomer about community groups. Let me get a drink of water because my voice is going quickly. Community groups are not Bible studies. Okay, follow me on this. Community groups are not Bible studies. Does that mean you don't study the Bible in a community group? No, you absolutely can. That's not the purpose. When I talk about community groups, I'm talking about groups that sole purpose is community. In other words, it's people coming together to develop deep friendships, deep relationships with other people in their church. That is the sole purpose. I have two groups right now that are meeting here at the church. They're both in the same age category. They're both in the same place in life. One group religiously does the study questions every week that Dave sends out. They never, piss, they never, they never pass on doing those questions. On the other side, <laughs> there are times when you hope people miss something that you say. Um, on the other side, on the other side, you've got a group that they never do the questions. If they do, it's a rare occasion that they ever do the questions. Is one right and one's wrong? No. Neither one's right, neither one's wrong. They're both doing what they do that fits their community. That's why these community groups are so important. It's like-minded people coming together. There are some people that all they want to do is get together and get in the Word and study the whole time. And there are some people that work insane hours. They're heavily involved in church. They do Bible study on their own. And when they come together as a group, all they want is to be around other Christian adults and enjoy fellowship. And that's okay. Because that's what a community group is. It's all about community. Now, my group in particular, I love. Um, I've loved every group I've been a part of. This is the third community group I've been a part of at Catalyst. I have loved every single one of them. The group I'm in right now, every one of us has kids. Every one of us has multiple kids. And so we have about 10 adults and 14 kids in our group. So on average, we have 21 to 24 kids on a Sunday night. 
in this group, in this house, and it's the Ely's house. And they don't have a mansion. We're not talking like a 4,500 square foot house. We're talking like a 1,500 square foot house, and we're packing all these people in it. And it is the best night of the week. It's just awesome. Our kids, while the adults are having community group, our kids are having their community group. Because whenever they have birthdays, they invite all the other kids from community group first. They don't invite their friends from school. They invite their community group friends. And it's awesome. Uh, every, every Monday afternoon, when I don't forget, I go and I pick up Abby Ely and I take her to dance with my daughter. And I drop them off. And every day at 5.30, Sean Ely picks the girls up and brings them back to my house. Not his daughter. He takes her home. But... <laughs> These are things that happen when you're in relationship. I want to show you a picture up here real quick. Check this out. This is, uh, this is from Kings Island last year. We kind of worked out a thing where some of us were going to go to Kings Island. Another family in the church heard about they came to, or another family from our group came. And we all went to Kings Island together. And this is just a picture of us having lunch that afternoon out by the road. Just found a nice place under a tree where we could all sit. That's what it's all about. That's, that's, that's what we do. One of the great things about that day, too, and I want to say this. <clears throat> one of the great things about that day was I had just sprained my ankle something fierce. And I could barely walk. I was actually on one of those buggies driving around all day, which is actually kind of fun. I'm not going to lie. You know, driving around on this buggy all day. And uh, I couldn't get in line for a lot of these rides with the kids. And so the folks that were in my community group got in the line and rode with my kids so they could get on rides. And that's the kind of things that happen when you're in community with people. It's what a community group should be. It's not just about people who go to church together, but it's about people sharing genuine community and developing deep friendships. If your community group is all about that one night that you meet, change that. Get in relationship with these people. And do something beyond that night. We've got one community group right now that I used to be a part of. There's some of the couples from that that are going on vacation together next weekend. This is community. This is what it's all about. The next place where we find community in our church is through various uh, classes and Bible studies. And I'm going to grab another drink of water real quick. We've got the men's Bible study. We've got the women's Bible study. Financial peace. Dave does study groups on Fridays. We have marriage seminars that happen. We have Wednesday night youth and children's. These things are all happening. There are other things, too. That's just a quick overview. Um, I do want to brag, though, about the men's ministry. Uh, ben, will you stand up real quick? This is the... Um, guys, this is... Yeah, go ahead and clap for Ben. Ben is the second most important Kibler in this church. And I'm not talking about Dave. I'm talking about his wife, Betty, because she does coffee. But Ben has been doing a Bible study since day one at Catalyst. Fifteen years he's been doing a Bible study at Catalyst, and it is still going. And today, 17 men meet on Monday nights and study the Bible together. And that's been continuing for a long time. The women's Bible studies, they'll have different ones at different points of the year. Wonderful times of gathering, having food, and sharing. Financial peace. Kevin Mink does that every year for us giving people a better understanding of their money and being stewards of the finances that God has blessed them with. Dave is doing a study group right now at Monos on Fridays for men going through his, his book on marriage. 
because it's something he's passionate about and it's something these guys want to learn from. We've got the marriage seminars that happen four times a year. We've got one coming up at the end of the month, and I can't tell you enough. Be a part of it if you can, because they're phenomenal. Um, we have Wednesday night youth and children's where our children and our teens are being taught by Jenny and Donovan, and they are knocking it out of the park. Now, these aren't community groups because their sole purpose is not community, but community happens because of them. These groups have a purpose it's to learn and to grow in our faith. But what always ends up happening is when you're with a group of people and you're working together and you're studying together, you find yourself growing closer together. And so community happens because of these classes and these studies. Also, um, if, if you're somebody who is newer to Catalyst and you want to find out more about our church, March 20th, it's a Sunday morning, Dave is doing a starting point class. If you've never taken the class before, I really advise you to go take it. It gives you every answer to why for Catalyst. Why we do the things we do, why we teach the things we teach. And uh, Dave heads that up. There will be lunch provided. It's going to be a really great class. If you haven't taken it, that's going to be on the 20th of March. Uh, definitely be sure you check that out. But these classes are another way where community can happen. The third way the community happens in this church is through ministry teams. Now, there are some teams you can't avoid but knowing about. There's the greeters and the ushers. You can't help but know them because Jimmy's usually standing outside that door shaking everybody's hands, saying hi to everybody. And then you see the ushers and greeters because they're helping people find places to sit. They're, they're passing the trays for offering and communion. These are people you see every Sunday. You know what they're doing. We have the coffee ministry, which let's be, just be honest, without the coffee ministry, many of you wouldn't make it through sermons like the one I'm about to finish up, right? <laughs> There'd be a lot of snoozing out here if it wasn't for that coffee ministry. And we're so thankful for that. Betty does a killer job heading that up. And we have the worship team. It's, you can't miss the worship team. They're the loudest team we have. They're up here, they're singing, they're worshiping, and they're leading you to the foot of the cross. All of these teams are upfront teams. And yet all of these teams work together and they build relationships. One of my favorite things about the worship team is we actually build teams on the worship team where they get to play together as a team all the time. And so relationships start happening because of that. And it's awesome to watch it happen. Are, are these teams community teams? No. It's a worship team. But community happens because of it. One team that I want to spotlight is one that only gets noticed when they screw up. And that's our tech team. And the reason I say this is because they do such a good job, I don't hear a lot of people complaining about them. You know a tech team's good when nobody hears, hears a problem or sees something that's not working. But these poor guys, they mess one thing up and everybody notices it. What you may not know about our tech team is that they're here every Thursday night at 7.30. And they take the next hour to hour and a half to set up everything on stage, to get the lights ready, to get the lyrics and all the slides ready for Sunday mornings. And then they're back here Sunday morning at 8 a.m. Putting everything into place and making sure that Sunday mornings are an experience for you guys. I want to do something. I don't normally do stuff like this. But because they are the most thankless group of servants in this church. Could we all just stand up and turn around and face them and just applaud these guys for the work they're doing? 
I can't tell you how thankful I am for this team. Daryl Jordan and his son Colby head things up, and Daryl and I talked, I guess it was a few months ago. We remember meeting in the warehouse on 27 back in the day, back by the drag strip. We had like eight lights, an old used sound system, and we did the best we could. <laughs> and look at the stuff that God has blessed us with. And the team that, that Daryl continues to keep building and, and the work that they're doing is awesome. What you may not know is every, every Sunday morning, the worship team and the tech team separately get together and they pray for each other. They spend a time in prayer before we even get started with the worship service. So there's focus. Again, it's not a community ministry. It's a team that works together, but community happens because of it. We also have offering counters, which... I would think it would be the most nerve-wracking job in the church because you're the one counting the church's money. And they do it, and they make sure that it's put where it needs to go so they can be deposited in the bank so that we can do ministry here at Catalyst. We have the baptism team, a group of people that make sure that thing doesn't smell like algae, who make sure we have towels so that when people are baptized, it is the best possible experience for the person being baptized. And they've been busy the last month, which has been awesome. Um, these teams give members of Catalyst ownership of the ministry that happens here, and it gives them the opportunity to do genuine ministry while building community within their team. And so teams are another way. These ministry teams are another great way to build community within the church. And the, the fourth way, the fourth way we build community at Catalyst is through our Sunday worship, or as I like to call it, family reunion. The reason I call it family reunion is because all throughout the week, we've got these community groups that are meeting together. These community groups are coming together, small families. They're meeting, eating together, sharing in, in what God's doing in their lives, praying for each other. We've got Bible studies that are getting together and they're studying the Word of God. They're, they're becoming closer. We've got ministry teams that are working together. All these family units all over the church that are doing their thing. And then on Sunday mornings, we come together as a family reunion. And what's nice is we don't have crazy Uncle Larry. And we don't have cousin so-and-so dating cousin so-and-so. It's just not happening. And it's beautiful, Right? We come together with one purpose, and that purpose is simple. We worship. We worship. We glorify God through our actions together as one body. And it's a beautiful thing. And one thing I do want to say about Sundays, if you've been coming here for a while, you've probably heard the phrase, the main thing. If you're new, you probably heard it this morning twice already, in the intro video and then again when Donovan was up here. The main thing came from this idea. We read a couple books. We read a book by Dave Ferguson called The Big Idea. He's a minister in, uh, in Chicago, Community Christian Church in Chicago, Illinois. And Dave Ferguson's church is a rather large church. And every week they share the big idea. And the big idea is the, the thought or the phrase that they want to kind of focus the entire week around. And we caught that and we we're like, that's a really good idea. And then we read this book called Sticky Church by Larry Osborne, where it was this idea of, well, you've got this big idea, 
But now what do you do with it? Well, now we make the whole worship service around this big idea. And then we take the big idea and we put it into our community groups. So when we, we talk about the sermon on Sunday. So now we heard about it on Sunday and now we're talking about it on whatever other night of the week we're doing it. If you'll notice, Dave will post stuff during the week online. And it all pertains back to what he talked about on Sunday. This is all intentional. We decided we would just call this the main thing. This is the main thing we want you to understand. That's why today our main thing is... We aren't better together. We're at our best together. It's so important for us to be running in the same direction. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. So why do we see this as so important? Why is community such a big deal for us? Because isolation is dangerous. Isolation is dangerous. And I want to talk a little bit about isolation. We just showed you how we we like to see community happen at Catalyst and the ways that it happens naturally. But there's a thing that can happen that can railroad all of it, and that's paranoia that happens through isolation. There are three things, actually. The first one is paranoia. I was reading a study by the American Psychological Association They actually did a study on social isolation and psychosis in 2020. There were 75 people that were part of the study, 29 with clinically stable, non-effective psychotic disorders, 20 that were first-degree relatives, 26 that were controls. And they used what they called an experience sampling method, which means they journaled every day about 10 times. This is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on right now inside my head. And they did that for about a week. And the findings were really interesting. It says, all groups experienced greater paranoia in the company of strangers and distant others than familiar others and being with familiar others was associated with lower paranoia over time. Patients were frequently alone. Importantly, social company appears to limit their paranoia, particularly when people or with being with people who are familiar and this is, the, this is the important part. It says, these findings stress the importance of interventions that foster social engagement and ties with family and friends. <clears throat> so basically, when you are apart from people you love, when you separate yourself, you're at a greater risk of paranoia. Now, what do I mean by paranoia? Let me tell you what happens when you separate yourself from people. Let me tell you what happens when you separate yourself from people. One of the first things you do is you think because you're not around those people anymore, you think they're mad at you, you think they're upset with you because you're not there. So you're thinking that they are saying things about you or assuming things about you that aren't true, but because we're alone and there's nothing else to really help us understand what's going on, that's what we do. We immediately go to the negative. Another thing that happens is we feel like everybody's moved on without me. So now I don't belong there anymore. I just don't belong because I'm not there. That's not true. But that's what isolation does. We start to believe these things that aren't true. And because we think that people are thinking bad about us, And because we think they've moved on without us, 
we start to dislike people that have never done a dang thing against us. It's very dangerous to isolate yourself and allow that paranoia to kick in. Another thing that happens in paranoia is a selfish view of life. In Proverbs 18.1 it says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Now, I'm reading this from the English Standard Version because unfortunately this is where the NIV let us all down. Okay? Just got to shoot straight. It's not a perfect translation. And if you open up the Hebrew and actually read what's in there, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to show you a Hebrew word. Check this out. Maybe. Hebrew word? There it is. Okay. I don't speak Hebrew. So we're just going to say that's Nipprod. Okay. But it's a man who isolates himself. The literal translation of that word is a man who isolates himself. In other words, somebody who pulls themselves out of social environments. And according to Proverbs 18.1, written by Solomon, who is considered the wisest man in the history of the world, that God gave him one, gave him one wish. What do you want? And he said, I want wisdom. I want to be the wisest man in the world. And he said... Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. See, when you're, when you're by yourself all the time, now you're the most important person in the world. Your thoughts matter the most. Your beliefs matter the most. Because you're not bouncing them off anybody else because it's just you. You start really focusing only on one person, and that's you. That's this person right here. But here's the problem that also happens. The dark side of that is sin. Alcoholics become alcoholics when they start drinking by themselves at home. Drug addicts becomes a real problem when you do it by yourself when you're at home. Sexual promiscuity, pornography, these things happen in isolation. They're not public sin. They all happen in isolation. And when there's nobody around to know what you're doing, when you are not in any kind of a relationship that holds you accountable to anything, sin can fester and grow. See, sin happens when we're in isolation and there's no one there to tell us otherwise. We have to be very careful when we isolate because we can't allow sin to take over. Another thing that happens when we isolate is we can't live out the Great Commission. When I, was, I'm, I grew up a preacher's kid. For the people who don't know, I'm a preacher's kid. And I love old-time preachers. I love them because they have some of the funniest sayings in the world. One of my favorites, there's a song called Standing on the Promises. And it's about standing on the promises of God. And I love preachers, like these old-timey preachers, because my dad was kind of like one of those. And they would say, how do you stand on the promises when you're sitting in the premises? How do, you, how do you do what God wants you to do when you never leave the house? How do you do the Great Commission if you don't go? The Great Commission says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. These were Jesus' last words on earth. If you don't know anything about Jesus, one thing I will tell you, he's very specific about the things he does. Jesus never said anything by accident. Everything he said was intentional. And this was the last thing he told his disciples when he left. This is our command. Go to all nations. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. Guys, if you isolate, you can't go. If you isolate, I I hate to tell you this, you can't cyber-baptize somebody. I mean, I'm sorry, metaverse baptisms aren't real. You've got to go. You've got to step out, and you can't, you can't isolate. When you isolate, you literally cannot do the very thing that Jesus Christ called us to do. And if you're listening online today, I want you to understand something, and it's for everybody else here too. None of this is directed at any one person. A lot of times when preachers preach sermons like this, there's somebody watching online or somebody in the service, and they think they're being singled out. And as much as I love all of y'all, I don't ever write a sermon and think, I'm going to get that one person. I don't ever think to myself, oh, I'm totally calling out so-and-so during this sermon. We don't do that. This is just truth. This is reality. When you draw yourself away from God's people, you're drawing yourself away from God's purpose for our lives to go and make disciples. Isolation, quite simply, can become poison. Period. It can become poison. When you're you're stuck with your own thoughts, they can become very dangerous. It is so important that we surround ourselves with community. And so I want to leave you. I don't want to leave you with all the sad stuff. Because community does three things that isolation doesn't do. Community number one connects us with the body of Christ. It gives us connection with other people who love Jesus, who are called according to his purposes, people who want to see his work done. You can only get connected to them through community. Another thing that community does, it moves us to action. It moves us to action. One of the coolest things happened this weekend. it's, It's great when I see people in the church do things, but when something happens in your home, it's really awesome. Uh, we get the call that there was a family that had a fire in their house. And they had foster kids. And they had needs. And all of their toys were gone. All their books were gone. So we asked our kids if they'd be willing to give up some toys and books. And at first my son Jack said no. But then when I got down on his level and I told him there was a little kid who had a fire and now all their stuff's gone, he didn't even look at me. He ran to his room and came out with an armful of stuff. That doesn't happen if you're not in the right community. Yesterday we had shingles everywhere. <laughs> I took a picture of it and posted it. It looked like it snowed shingles outside of our church building. And all I did was I got on Catalyst Life real quick. And if you don't know what Catalyst Life is, come talk to me afterwards and we'll get you hooked up on that. But I was on Catalyst Life and I just posted, could somebody come out and clean up the shingles? And within minutes, 
there's a message from Trevor Sherwood that says, I'm on my way. And he came out and cleaned up every bit of it. That doesn't happen if you're not in community, guys. Community moves us to action. Because we want what's best for the kingdom. And the last thing that community does is it shows us what, a picture of what heaven could be like. Now, it's not, gonna be, it's not heaven. We, we can't get that good down here. But it can show us a picture of what it could be like. I watched videos of the Asbury Revival, and I thought it was awesome, just watching people worshiping. But I'm going to tell you what, that video of it did nothing for me. But I talked to people that were there in person, and it changed everything. It was a holy moment. Jenny Ross actually got to go over our children's minister, and she just went on and on about how amazing it was just to be in a room full of people that are worshiping God. And she thought it was amazing, and I thought, that looked really cool. Because I wasn't part of it. I wasn't in it. But when you're in it, like a Sunday morning when worship's going on and we are lifting our hands, we're raising our hands in worship, and we're giving God everything that we have, you can't experience that through a screen very well. It's really hard to experience that through a screen. You've got to experience that live. And being together, you get a real experience of what it would be like when thousands upon thousands upon thousands of believers are together for eternity. The band is going to be a whole lot better than ours. We got a good band, but come on now. Jesus is going to be front and center, right next to God. We get to see them face to face. I don't want to watch a movie about it. I want to be there. I just can't emphasize enough how important it is to be together as a community and how much more impactful it can be on your life. Make sure you don't avoid the opportunity to come together, to be a community, to love each other. And I want to say one last thing before we close this whole thing off. The first thing we do when we screw up and we do something dumb is we isolate. And the worst thing you could ever do to yourself when you screw up or sin is isolate. The first thing you need to do is run to your community. Experience grace. Experience restoration. Experience what it means when the body of God comes around you and says, we love you. We're going to help you through this. Because I'm going to tell you what, guys and ladies, you can't beat sin alone. It's always better when we come together. Don't run away from community. Run to community. Because like I said earlier, we aren't better together. We're at our best together. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.